Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, a violent and costly crime. The rise over the last years has been alarming. Organized crime is becoming more brazen. The Trudeau government gathers a national summit to tackle auto theft, but was the gathering just political theatre? Or did the summit produce real strategies to stop a crime that has terrorized and affected families across the country? Coming up, we will speak with the Public Safety Minister, Dominic Leblanc, and... Alberta's transgender policy proposals continue to spark debate and controversy and forcing the Conservative leader to answer questions about what he does and does not support. Is the issue putting Pierre Polyev in a bad spot? Our political panel is here. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. Not that long ago, auto theft was considered a property violation, but in recent years, the incidents of theft have exploded, and stealing vehicles is now a major source of revenue for organized crime, costing Canadians a billion dollars each year. That's the backdrop to a national summit that took place in Ottawa today, the Trudeau government gathering together leaders from provinces, territories and municipalities to meet alongside police and industry players to explore what can be done. Canadians need serious action. A catchy slogan won't stop auto theft. A two-minute YouTube video won't disrupt organized crime. Cracking down on auto theft means bringing law enforcement, order services, port authorities, car makers, and insurance companies together. Now, first things first, we need to stop these criminals who are part of gangs and organized crime. As you know, Ontario is one of the hotspots for auto theft. So last week, we announced $121 million to support law enforcement in the province. We're also looking at further strengthening penalties for anyone who participates in auto theft. So at the end of the day, what was accomplished? Joining us now is the Minister for Public Safety, Dominic Leblanc. Minister, thank you for being with us. Good evening, Michael. So the Prime Minister, he helped uh, kick off the summit this morning. He highlighted the money you announced yesterday for CBSA, the money uh, last week for Ontario to fight organized crime. And he also hinted at some legislative changes to create tougher penalties for auto theft. Uh, I'm wondering if you could actually expand on that. Just what exactly is your government looking at? So a a whole series of measures. You identified a a couple of immediate uh, injections of new funding that will help local police, the RCMP, in the case of Border Services, the announcement yesterday. I'm going to have some news, I hope, in the next week or two for the RCMP and their partners in the context of international investigations around organized crime in this area with Interpol. Um, So we're prepared to invest the money necessary to really deal with what is an increasingly violent and alarming connection to organized crime. In terms of legislative measures, um, you're right. Uh, The Prime Minister and my colleague Arif Varani said that we're open to looking at criminal code amendments. Um, There are already already mandatory minimum sentences around somebody convicted of multiple auto thefts. Uh, There are severe penalties around those that would commit a theft of a car in connection with an organized criminal group. 
um, which is increasingly the case, and carjacking and sort of violent incidents, uh, including personal confrontations in some cases with armed criminals, uh, is increasingly becoming a circumstance that the police told us today they're seeing. So that is a new and alarming circumstance that would obviously require some of the most uh, severe criminal sanctions. But we're also looking at whether we can change standards around automobile manufacturing. Can the automobile manufacturers do more in terms of technology that might assist in immobilizing vehicles or helping in the case of a stolen vehicle? And of course, we announced that we're going to use regulations to ban those sort of devices that allow people to copy the electronic keys. That's often used again by criminals in stealing vehicles. So a lot to, to, uh, to, to be watching for as we go down the road. But, you know, when you talk about uh, some legislative changes, of course, we did hear from the Conservative leader this week, Pierre Polyev, uh, outlining his ideas about what can be done to crack down on auto theft. They include uh, increasing the mandatory uh, prison time for repeat offenders of the crime, uh, removing the possibility of house arrest if a suspect is indicted of the crime, uh, creating a specific aggregating factor if a vehicle is stolen for the benefit of organized crime. Do you see any of that helping form or informing what you are going to come up with as a government? Well, uh, look, Mr. Polyev and the Harper government, of which he was a member, uh, advocated a whole series of mandatory minimum penalties in many cases that were struck down by courts of appeal and by the Supreme Court. Um, we do recognize, and my colleague said this, uh, that we already have a mandatory minimum penalty. Uh, we're open to using the criminal code and other legislative measures um, in a way that will uh, crack down on, as, as you noted, Michael, repeat offenders, those that are, are connected to organized, and in some cases, transnational organized criminal groups. The police told us today a great deal of the revenue uh, from these stolen vehicles, and it's 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 considerable. It's it's in it's over a billion dollars in terms of estimated revenue and cost uh, from from stolen vehicles uh, finds their way into the hands of uh, organized criminal groups that uh, perpetuate gun smuggling, human trafficking, very violent criminal offenses. So obviously those offenses and those uh, criminals associated with those groups need to face severe penalties. Uh, but the Conservatives have always thought that there's sort of a magic solution, a panacea by changing the criminal code. They cut a thousand border services officers uh, when they were in government. They had plans to cut 400 more. We restored all of those positions, added 800 and are prepared to add more. So uh, we don't think that there's one simplistic solution. The government of Canada doesn't patrol the streets in Toronto or Montreal where these cars are being stolen. They're not stolen at the port of Montreal. And you can't solve the problem uh, solely by choking off the export po point where a lot of these cars uh, are, are, are exported. We also heard from the RCMP, 40% of the stolen cars are resold in Canada. Uh, so that's a challenge for local and provincial police. Uh, if these cars are being stolen and resold, revinned, uh, and sold domestically in Canada, that's properly the jurisdiction of local police, and the RCMP need to partner with them to do everything we can to support their work. Okay, so uh, you support their work, as you say, uh, but I, I do wonder, though, because for anyone who's had their vehicle stolen or been the victim of a violent crime associated with vehicle theft, they want 
action now. Here you are as a government gathering all these players in the nation's capital. So after taking the bother of inviting everyone to Ottawa, how quickly will we actually see changes? Well, people have already seen changes. They've already seen increased investments in border services and the RCMP. They've seen increased investments in local and provincial police to deal with this. Uh, we amended the criminal code in 2019 uh, and included mandatory minimum penalties for this. The RCMP were increasing and we have already done so in a significant way. The money they have to crack down on organized crime and transnational organized crime. Today was a chance uh, to discuss collaboratively what we can all do together uh, to put even more pressure on those that would seek to inflict this kind of uh, increasingly violent crime on Canadians, announcing that we're going to immediately use regulatory measures to ban the devices known, I guess they're called flippers, which allow people to copy the electronic uh, fobs, the electronic keys that um, many of these criminals are using to steal the cars. Um, there are immediate things we're going to do, looking at vehicle standards, as I said. Um, so there's a lot of work that has been done, but we recognize that we all need to do uh, as much more work as we can collaboratively to try and deal with this very worrisome circumstance. Can you give any type of timeline, though? You know, your government, uh, for example, came back in September, started moving very quickly on housing as that became an issue for Canadians, uh, and it became obvious in the polling. How quickly are you going to move on this issue? Do you have a timeline in mind to, for example, make your own announcement? Well, so as I said, I, I think we've been working on this in a collaborative and constructive way already, recognizing there's more to do. Uh, I will be announcing additional funding to help organized uh, criminal investigations uh, that the RCMP do with their partners, uh, probably in the next few weeks. Uh, we all collectively left this meeting, including provincial ministers from Ontario, from Quebec, mayors of some of Canada's biggest cities were there with their police officials. Everybody left uh, with an understanding and a commitment in the next number of weeks, not months, weeks, this winter, uh, to come up with a very specific series of action measures, like a to-do list, um, that we can all get to work on right away. So uh, we're not going to delay any of this work. We're going to continue to do as expeditiously as we can, uh, everything we can together as a, as a group uh, to uh, try and deal with this increasingly alarming circumstance. Minister Dominic LeBlanc, thank you very much for the time this evening. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Michael the public safety minister. Well, of course, it was more than just Dominic LeBlanc and the federal government at the summit. Let's uh, take a listen now to some of the other officials who gathered around the table today. I conveyed today my appreciation to Minister LeBlanc and our federal ministers who are here that the announcement they made yesterday is a good first step. But we need to act today. We need concrete actions immediately. It's not just the technology and the artificial intelligence. There is a lot that can happen today, and specifically at the ports and the rail yards, with inspecting the outgoing containers. We had a very, very meaningful discussion. I appreciate being invited. I listened attentively as I will continue to do this afternoon. From the spotters to the people that are stealing it to the people that are putting it in containers, it's important for us to be able to establish organized crime. But I think we want to try to get up the pecking order a little bit and not just hammer away at, at, at the youth that are involved at the front end. 
just be vigilant. Make sure you take the right precautions with different tools. Uh, you've heard uh, today uh, with the insurance company that said there's tracker device that you can buy and insert and, and, and uh, install in your vehicle. So I, I think you should seriously be considering that. But it's, be, it's being vigilant. Well, here's what happened in politics today. The Conservatives are responding to today's National Summit on Combating Auto Theft, prompting this back and forth in question period. Under Conservatives, car theft's down by 50%. Under Liberals, car theft's up by 34%. And now he's being told at his fancy summit that his policies are the problem. Celeste Power of the Insurance Bureau said car thefts are up because, quote, profits are high and penalties are light. So when will the Prime Minister abandon their soft on crime approach so car thefts can come down? Today we had the auto summit where we brought in leaders across the country, including police. Mr. Speaker, we are working on tangible solutions, not just slogans from the Conservatives. The federal government and the Council of the Haida Nation say they have reached a key milestone, having jointly developed Bill S-16, which was tabled earlier today. Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Gary Anandasangari says the legislation recognizes the Haida Nation's inherent right to governance and self-determination. This is long overdue and represents a step towards a better future and a strong, lasting nation-to-nation -nation relationship. This is another step in our journey towards the implementation of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples and our path towards reconciliation. Pierre Poliev is promising First Nations greater control of their resources and money if and when he becomes Prime Minister. The party announced its support for a First Nations resource charge, which was developed by the First Nations Tax Commission and then adopted by the Conservative Party. This is a historic change in how First Nations governments fund their operations by allowing them to collect directly the revenues from resource projects that happen on their lands and having the federal government cede tax room for them to do it. The Canadian Home Builders Association has released a strategy to build 5.8 million homes in the next decade. It comes as Canada faces a massive housing shortage and affordability crisis. Among other changes, the association wants to see 30-year amortization periods for first-time buyers on newly constructed homes. This will enable well-qualified buyers who are currently locked out of the market to become homeowners and do so without creating undue demand in a supply-constrained market, since only new homes would be eligible for the longer amortization periods, thereby creating and incenting more housing supply. And finally, the U.S. Supreme Court heard former President Donald Trump's appeal of a Colorado ruling. That ruling says Trump was ineligible to be on the state's Republican primary ballot because he violated the U.S. Constitution's 14th Amendment by participating in an insurrection. This during the January 6th Capitol attack. But Donald Trump disagrees. It's unfortunate that we have to go through a thing like that. I consider it to be more election interference by the Democrats, that's what they're doing. 
Well, it is Thursday, which means it is time once again to take a look at the stories that have dominated the political headlines this week. Susan Smith is principal with the Blue Sky Strategy Group and McGrath, principal secretary to the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. And joining us this week, Gary Keller, once again, vice president at Strategy Corps, former chief parliamentary advisor to Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Hello to the three of you. Hello. Hello. So listen, you know, it's, it's been a week since Premier Smith introduced her transgender policy proposals. And really, this is where I want to begin, because uh, the controversy has still dominated the headlines this week. And Pierre Polyev, well, he was finally pushed into stating what he does and does not support about the policy. You know, uh, it makes me wonder what kind of political tightrope is Pierre Polyev walking here when it's Alberta introducing these policies, but the federal leader being asked about it? Mm -hmm. uh, he's walking a very difficult tightrope, but he's chosen to walk that tightrope. I think Doug Ford made a very quick comment, and no one's going back to Doug Ford on this. I think it's a tightrope of Polyev's choosing, ultimately. He, he dodged it at the beginning, but then he's weighed in, saying that he doesn't support puberty blockers for kids um, under the age of 18. He's courting a certain section of the party and the population as well, people perhaps that haven't voted for him in the past but may hold uh, more socially conservative views. And so he's, that's a dance he's doing, and he's trying to reach out to them. Where the tightrope is, is he's trying to also grow the party, and there's an opportunity to pick up former, former progressive conservatives, conservatives who felt homeless for a long time. I think he's going to alienate them. So he's made some calculus and he's decided to land, sorry, old progressive conservatives, not going with you, going with a different segment of the population. Uh, Gary, what's your read of it? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, this is really a discussion between the province of Alberta uh, uh, and, and Danielle Smith, who, from a constitutionality standpoint, there are two aspects to this. One is the, the education policy. There was part of the policy Daniel Smith talked about, uh, about how uh, gender identity would be dealt with in school. So that is firmly within the realm of, of the province and the province's right to regulate and legislate. Uh, the other aspect uh, on the healthcare delivery uh, and gender identity uh, and gender transition, um, that gets a little bit more complicated because there are ultimately federal dollars involved here. Whether or not the federal government is going to actually step in and do something, that remains to be seen. They've, they've threatened to send a sternly worded letter about this, but we haven't seen much more detail on, on that front. So really, you know, when you have two governments who have different positions, uh, that discussion is ultimately between them. Of course, people want to know to hear what Mr. Polyev would say about this because he has been up in the polls and increasingly uh, is facing attention. But it's a little different than Doug Ford. Doug Ford is a premier. He's in government. He has the responsibility to deliver both education and health care. And so actually has levers over that as opposed to, to Mr. Polyev. Uh, and yes, of course, he's walking uh, a tightrope on this issue because, um, it, you know, with some of these uh, social issues, uh, there, there, are, there can be divisive in nature. And there's a reason why the liberals have been going so hard on this and trying to wedge on this issue. It's trying to reverse their fortunes from where they are currently in the polls. Um, that's natural. That's politics. Uh, and so, of course, Mr. Polyev is uh, trying to walk a, a difficult tightrope here. But remember, he's in opposition. He's not a federal government that has some purse string control over health care delivery, and he's not a provincial government which actually has to deliver these programs. Uh, and what do you think of this? Well, uh, so I was not surprised at what Danielle Smith decided to do because she's got her a whole host of reasons for why she's doing what she's doing. I think it's wrong. I think it's disgusting personally. I think it's, you know, picking on the most vulnerable to kind of prop herself up. 
I was surprised to see Pierre Poiliev wade into it. I, I thought that he would try and stay away from it. Uh, I, I think it might have been unsuccessful if he had tried to stay away from it too, too much. But, but certainly, uh, I don't see any upside in this for him because I think that most of the sort of socially conservative crowd that he would be playing to in this feel like he's already with them. So I don't know what he had to gain in that way. And he has a fair bit to lose because he is going to need uh, those politically homeless progressive conservatives, I think, and uh, and blue liberals, actually. He's going to need people uh, from, from outside of his tent. So he seems to be much more focused, I feel, on, on uh, kind of uh, you know, grabbing that Bernier People's Party uh, uh, group that I know he needs, but uh, he at some point I'm, I've been waiting for him to actually start moving away from that. Like once he's got them, moving away from that and moving over a, a little bit into into you know more sort of more social territory. Um, so I was I was actually surprised that he weighed in on it. Mm -hmm. You know, Gary, I want to pick up on your point because you know, yes, he's uh, Pierre Polyev is not in government right now. Nor, nor is he a provincial premier. I, I take your point on that. But at the same time, he is essentially trying to sell, help sell himself as prime minister in waiting. So, so does that not really uh, basically allow people to push him on the issue and, and put him into some type of jeopardy there? Well, I'm not sure about Jeopardy necessarily. You know, last fall, Angus Reid Institute did a fairly comprehensive poll of uh, people's attitudes in Canada towards gender identity, about notification in schools, a notification of minors with uh, change of pronoun, change of name. And overwhelmingly, 75% plus uh, across the country, across voting coalitions, across region, said that parents should either have the say or at least be notified. Only a very small percentage, I think it was between 14 and 15 percent in the, in the three main questions that they asked, said that parents should have no say whatsoever. And so you've seen Mr. Polyev say in his, his communications that he believes very strongly in parental rights and, and parental uh, ability to, to have a say. And I think he's simply reflecting you know, some of those those polling numbers and where the vast majority uh, of Canadians are. So uh, I, I think, frankly, he probably feels that, look, he doesn't want to be talking about this because it actually distracts from his key messages of axe attacks, build the homes, stop the crime, fix the budget, you know, his four key priorities, kind of like the Harper Five key priorities, talking about these social issues is not part of those issues, especially at a time when the main priorities of Canadians are affordability, cost of living, uh, and, and, and housing and mortgages and that sort of thing. So anything that gets him away from those four priorities, of course, he doesn't want to be talking about because he feels like he has a winning, uh, a winning sales pitch to Canadians on that front. But at the same time, I think he feels safe talking about parental rights because I think polling says that the majority of Canadians are probably with him. What do you make of that, Susan? I, I haven't seen that Angus Reid poll. I think he stepped into something he didn't need to step into, and he's going to regret it. Uh, I think Anne's right that he's tilting towards this the, the Max Bernier wing of the party, and they're there. If they don't vote for Pierre, I don't think Bernier's going to be a force at all in the next federal election. So people are going to vote for Pierre or or not at all. And I, I think he's made a mistake because I think he's going to alienate a part of the of the conversation or a part of the electorate that is moderate. And his Danielle Smith comes across in no lens as moderate anywhere, and Polyev has just endorsed her on this. And it's also at odds, it, 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 and it will get connected back to his whole position on the vaccine. You know, it was let people decide for themselves on the vaccine, yet he's saying, no, no, you can't decide 
for yourself, um, or parents can't decide what's best for their children. Uh, you know, in this particular context, when it comes to transgender youth, so I think it's I think it's a mistake. All in all, it's Danielle Smith has kicked a hornet's nest to distract from other problems that she has in the province, childcare, and other things. Uh, it's become a conversation that has moved away from affordability and key issues of the day in Ottawa. Um, but it's it's now that it's been opened, it's a conversation people need to have. Okay. Listen, uh, quickly running out of time, and I, I do want to ask about the pharmacare because we we did hear uh, your leader today, uh, this week rather, Jagmeet Singh, essentially say that if the Liberals do not meet the March 1st deadline for some type of framework legislation on pharmacare, then essentially the Liberals are signaling the end of the supply and confidence agreement between the two parties. Is that what we're seeing here, the unraveling of that agreement? Well, uh, if we are, we've, it's not the first time. I mean, it's not like it's been a, an easy agreement to keep together. I mean, you know, it might, maybe it looks like it, but there have been many moments where uh, it's been a bit touch and go. So um, I, I think that uh, Jagmeet Singh is right. Like, it, it, this is a pretty key part of that agreement. If the Liberals don't come through on it, then they are saying that they're not they're not in this anymore. I, I, I actually believe that that's absolutely the case. So uh, it is a bit high stakes. Uh, there's only a few weeks left to actually uh, find uh, find a, a path forward for uh, for both the parties. Um, I'm still pretty confident and optimistic. I'm a naturally optimistic uh, person, uh, so I'm still quite hopeful that we'll be able to do that. But certainly, if, if there isn't something substantial on pharmacare, I, I don't see that that's, uh, I see that as a big problem for the agreement. Susan, do you think the Liberals still care about maintaining this, uh, this agreement? I, uh, do I? You know what, I don't know. But I think <laughs> if it unravels, I think they're there and genuinely trying to work out a deal with the NDP. But if it if this deal, which has been highly unusual, it's a supply and confidence agreement, normally minority governments govern without a supply and confidence agreement. If that, if that agreement should have a denouement, it does not mean the immediate denouement of the government. It's an opportunity actually for both parties to distance themselves from one another in the lead up to an election. So people will need to be reminded, Michael, and that's what you'll be busy doing because there will be people saying, oh my God, there's going to be an election tomorrow. There isn't going to be an election tomorrow should that supply and confidence agreement end unless the NDP decide or another party decide and there's enough to vote down the government on an issue of supply or confidence. Otherwise, we go back to how minority governments always operate, and any supply or confidence vote could mean the toppling of the government, but not necessarily. Yeah, uh, Gary, uh, last word to you, and gotta say we're quickly running out of time. Yeah, I had to laugh. Jagmeet Singh had the comment earlier this year about negotiating with liberals was like negotiating with slippery eels. Uh, that was a pretty good line. Look, and Susan's right in terms of the, the terms of the deal. Uh, just because the confidence supply agreement might come to an end, it uh, doesn't mean that we're into an election. It means we're on a case-by-case -case basis and horse trading and who's, who's going to support the government. Uh, and uh, it certainly makes for interesting days ahead. Okay, well, uh, I'm... I'm very happy about the conversation. I'm also very happy that Susan worked in the word denouement. So this is <laughs> the denouement to our conversation, Susan, Anne, and Gary. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be with you. And that is our program for this Thursday. I'm Michael Sorabio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching Primetime Politics. We'll be back tomorrow. But up next, Esther Bejan avec l'essentiel.